welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So how do you activate your heart? Welcome to episode number 58. Today, I'm talking with Layla Selvade. She's a spiritual teacher, a heart guide, if you will. Her amazing story includes going to a Zen monastery with Thich Nhat Hanh, and later on, going through what she calls spiritual warfare, to the point where she had to sit down for three days and three nights and do nothing. In this recording, we're going to talk about these amazing stories, plus communicating through vibrations, loving your shadows, making the trip from your head to your heart, awakening your inner intelligence, Merkaba, and much more. Before I continue, I want to remind you that my meditation album is available to you. It's on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you can stream or download. I recommend you try the cave meditation and eventually work your way up to the nobody meditation. I appreciate you contacting me on social media and letting me know how it's been a positive force in your life. But now, I can't wait for this conversation. Me and Layla, we could talk for hours and hours. So Layla, welcome to the Inner Peace Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. How does someone activate their heart? Oh, good question. It's a unique journey for everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that there's one ultimate truth and then there's many ways to arrive at that truth, right? So everybody has their own unique journeys and paths. So how an individual activates their own heart is unique to them, I believe. It could be a heartbreak. It could be an ego break, a, a dark night of the soul. It doesn't always have to be something that is painful, but usually I find it is because it's a remembering of what we've actually forgotten. And that is painful to recognize and admit to ourselves that we've actually forgotten how to use and how to um, connect to the most beautiful and powerful force within us. Mm. You're speaking my language. <laughs> you know, people aren't aware of what their potential is. I know. And so you're one of these light workers that helps people. What would you say is the, I'm going to use the word advantage of someone discovering uh, the wisdom of their heart, just unlocking that tool, unlocking that energy. The potential is infinite. Mm -hmm. it's, it's endless. That the heart is infinite wisdom. It's, it's literally connected to infinite amounts of time and space and information. 
Mm. So it's, it's endless. It's infinite. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I was going through your story a little bit and our, our stories are very similar and we crossed paths like 2014, maybe 2015, somewhere in there. Yeah. At the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, they're getting a plug right now. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way around it. <laughs> I was a health coach there, or a business coach, I guess you can call it. And you were a student. I was. And I remember talking with you. That was my job to talk to students. And you had this standing light thing that you were working on. Mm-hmm. You know, my job was, you know, we were talking health, we were talking diet, you know, and so that's kind of how I started in everything too, is, you know, diet, food, how do you, how can you change your body through diet and and lifestyle changes? But you were on a different, you know, there was another layer for you. You were on another journey, you were on another path and you ended up at Plum Village. <laughs> you know, I always, I always wanted to go to Plum Village. You should. And, you know, I love Thich Nhat Hanh. For those that don't know, he's a, uh, a well-known um, Zen master. Zen he's, Buddhist monk. Yeah. And what was that like? What was Plum Village like? Tell me. I was there two weeks. Yeah. And it felt like no time and no space. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I just, uh, the journey there too, it just felt like I was going, you know, I, the journey alone was like a different dimension in a, in a, in a way. Cause I, you know, I didn't, there was trains and there was so many different things I had to take and I was all alone and I just already was almost learning how to surrender fully. And, and that was foreign to me at the time, honestly. And arriving there was um, like arriving into a whole new world where we were on planet earth, but it's this utopia and it's unbelievably beautiful, unbelievably simple, Mm. raw. And, and yet there's such a, a profoundness to it. And it was interesting because there was every, every, everything was a meditation. And that ultimately became my biggest takeaway yes. still to this day was yes. that there was a working meditation. There was an eating meditation. There was a walking meditation. There was a meditation. There was, I mean, honestly, a cleaning meditation, which kind of actually went into the working meditation, but I, I will never forget the one working meditation assignment me and a couple other women got and we had to uh basically take down this it must i'm bad with measurements but i mean it was this thorned bush that went along the entire entrance road Mm. it was it was no big you know it, it was no small feat and it was just three women with machetes basically and with this thorn bush, I remember, you know, I'm an athlete. I was in the national team of Switzerland for rhythmic gymnastics. I've, you know, I, I used to be a, uh, in, in track 
and field, I can, I'm strong. <laughs> to this day, I have never been so sore in my entire life. And it was also the most humbling experience because it was so painful and we were getting so scratched up because it was this thorn bush that we were bleeding. We were extremely sore. We were extremely hot and tired. It was under the blazing sun. And you got to a point, you got to this threshold where you just couldn't do anything but laugh hysterically. Right. Yeah. And you completely surrendered from your ego into your heart. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that moment because, you know, I was joking. I was like, if my parents knew that I was paying money to stay here, I'll, I'll bite a very small sum, you know? Yeah. Um, and doing this kind of laborer's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They would, they would have me do so much more at home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was unbelievably peaceful and unbelievably chaotic because you were constantly, I was constantly learning how to still my mind and realizing how unbelievably loud it was. <laughs> and how was the adjustment with the silence? Because when you go to a monastery, mm -hmm. silence becomes your, like your best friend. Yeah. You know, I was, I personally didn't have such a hard time adjusting to that aspect of it because I, you know, I was born and raised in Switzerland, despite my accent and we lived right next to the forest. So I spent a lot of time. I've, I spend a lot of time in silence and I always have just kind of in the forest in nature by myself. So that wasn't a big adjustment. And I actually found myself leaving a lot of the seated meditations, like the group seated meditations, and just wanting to go out and meditate in nature by myself, almost needing like more silence, more energetic silence. Mm. Um, I will say though, the journey, the really true Zen journey began after I left the monastery because here I am, you know, basically thinking already again in my ego, I just spent this time at the Zen Buddhist monastery, I know how to meditate. I know what mindfulness is in the I know of everything, right? And then I drove, um, I took the train back and got back to Switzerland and my mom actually picked me up from the airport. And within five minutes, anger came out of me. Yes. That I was like, what is this? I thought I was cured. I thought I was pure. I was, you no, know, I thought I was enlightened. And it was just like, boom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Humbling as nothing else I can tell you. Oh and I, in that moment, I, I, I recognized, wow. Okay. This is where the true monastery begins. This is where the true practice happens. You know, the so, same thing happened to me. Yeah. I went to, and I've, retreated to an ashram in 2012. Wow. And that's where I met my mentor who was a mystic. Mm -hmm. And life has changed, right? The drive home is like phew, floating in the clouds. Yeah. And within days I'm yelling and I'm screaming <laughs> and I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's 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 not something that can be quote unquote cured in, in a week or two. Yeah. And it's not a curing either. What what I found out. It's 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 a learning. It's a constant learning. Because even now, I mean, this was how long ago? I mean, a while ago, years ago, 
And still to this day, I'm learning how to just love my shadows and, and love the parts that I would, you know, so easily want to label as bad or wrong or whatever, you know, I, I would assume as negative and just recognizing that that's part of the human journey mm. is just learning how to love wholeheartedly, unconditionally yourself first and mm. foremost, which includes all of your parts every single crazy nugget within you, every facet, every, yeah, every single dimensional aspect of yourself. The crumbs in the bottom of the toaster. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I like that expression. Yeah. Was Thich Nhat Hanh there when you were there? He was. He wasn't um, present though. He was in his, um, he was, he was uh, really sick. He was, yeah. We weren't sure if he was going to make it and he thankfully did. He did. But, yeah. But he wasn't he still around. Yeah, he was his spirit was present. You could feel, you know, his spirit in the air cuz he was staying at one of the the homes nearby, but he wasn't present for it physically there. Yeah, he's like 88 or 89 right now. Mm-hmm. At least I think. And I think he just went went back home to Vietnam. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, to live out his last days. Wow. Yep. Can but, you imagine going but, back to a country that kicked you out? <laughs> yeah, but they let him back. Wow. They let him back. Mm. So what made you go to Plum Village? Like, what was that moment like when you, because you have to go through an application process. I mean, you don't just show up and knock on the door. <laughs> Although I'm sure they would find room, um, but it is, it's a journey to get there. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, like everything in life that's meant to be, and that is meant to come into your path. It, it was, there were a few seed, seed seedlings, you know, it was just like, it, it, it came into my field somehow, some way by someone or something. And I can't remember what that initial source point was for that. And then suddenly I started hearing it. And then of course I knew about Thich Nhat Hanh and I, I had some of his books and suddenly something just said, go now. And I was, I was newly living in New York. I think I had just moved to New York. I had left my first job in New York to start Standing Light, but there was this kind of integration period of, okay, now I started my company, but Standing Light never had a business plan. It was always a heart plan. Mm. So I, I first decided to come back home to Switzerland for a little bit because I, I moved out of the place that I, my apartment that I initially lived in in New York. And I said, let me go home to Switzerland, spend some time there, recalibrate, figure out what's next while I set up and really just build Standing Light up. And it was in that time where I also planned on going to Plum Village because it was, you know, I was in Switzerland and Plum, Plum Village is in France. Mm. So I um, took a flight and a train and a bus and another train and got there. But it was, um, it's, and it was pretty cold too. I think it was in October that I went, October, November. You went from New York to France. With, there were a few places in between, but yep, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> That's hardcore. That's like, cause you could have went to a monastery, you know, in the area. 
Yeah, there's a sister. There's a sister monastery uh, up blue, north. Blue Blue Mountain, I think blue it's cliffs. called. Blue Cliffs, right? Cliff. Blue, blue Cliffs. Yes, yes. Blue Cliffs Monastery. It's in yeah, upstate New York, I think. Yeah, no, but I I felt like I needed to go to the source, which is Plumbridge, which is the original uh, monastery he he created, and I I wanted it to be in Europe, to be honest. Like I felt like I wanted to also go back to my home. You know even though I sound American, Europe has always been more home to me. Right. So it right. was, it was a homecoming in many ways. What a journey. <laughs> what a journey. So that, that's why I brought up, you know, IIN where we met because, mm-hmm. you know, we we're on the, uh, the same journey and didn't even really know it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Cause like I said, I was at an ashram. Yes. You end up at a Zen monastery. Amazing. But we're but we're meeting over you know kale and quinoa. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that 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 could be the title of my podcast right there. <laughs> and, and you never know who's walking the the quote unquote path, mm-hmm. and unless they're you know cutting YouTube videos or, or making it known, mm-hmm. you know you never really know. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you you waited for the right time to release this information to start helping people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because as I'm sure, you know, everything is energy. It's, it's all vibration. Mm -hmm. And just like with a radio station, if you're tuned into one frequency, you're only going to get a certain amount of radio stations. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're only going to be able to communicate on a walkie talkie with one person depending on which frequency you're tuning into and over the years i've launched quite a few things i've i've you know had inc- i mean i've partnered up with mind valley and done and met amazing events with big companies and organizations and and yet all throughout i was still upgrading and and um expanding into higher and higher vibrations and I think there's no surprise that now at the vibration that I've arrived at, I feel like it's the most resonant to what standing light truly always was meant to be and always was. It was just me actually growing into being my own standing light and really genuinely standing in my light and owning not just my light, but also my darkness and just fully and wholeheartedly understanding what it means to be a standing light. And that in and of itself exudes a specific vibration where you're going to then attract and communicate with the people that understand that as well mm. and have been on their own standing light journey. I'll, mm. you know. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, and then there's so many synchronicities running into just things happening and you're just like, oh, wow, that was, right. you know, that connect like this and that connected like that. Right. And when you're aware of this, yeah. Life it's like watching a movie. It's like Yes. And all you can do is kind of giggle and laugh, <laughs> like, ha, oh, that's funny. Because it's almost unbelievable to the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had any experiences, light? Have you seen anything? Felt anything? Any satori's, anything like that? Oh, I have activated the spaceship of my heart and traveled time and space and seen 
almost everything you can imagine. <laughs> I like how you call it a spaceship. Yeah, it is. That's that, that's what I mean about its infinite powers. When you truly activate your heart, it's a multi-dimensional spacecraft and it, it takes you places. And, you know, I did a lot of work with, um, I don't know if you know, um, Melchizedek or Daniel Mitel. Mm. Uh, and they talk all about, you know, they go deep into the heart work, but also act in the Merkaba. And, you know, Daniel Mitel was actually at my place leading the first New York workshop ever. So I, I got, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with him and um, it was quite fascinating. And this was actually, yeah, quite a few years ago as well, but there's so many ways to approach it. And again, you know, I, I'll keep saying this, it's, it's always a unique journey mm -hmm. and it's, it comes down to an intention. And when you, when you feel the call of your heart, you can't deny it and it will guide you and you will show up in places that will take your breath away because you just can't believe how naturally it, it showed up in your path. But that's what happens when you trust your heart and when you let that magnetic force guide you towards your, the magnetic place you're supposed to be. That's why it magnetizes you towards it. And um, I, I truly believe that whether, you know, whether you do it through Merkaba or you just, cause I, I really kind of let that whole thing go almost. And I just went deeper and deeper into my own heart's journey. And, and it really isn't, it's nothing fancy. It's, it's so, it's very similar to, to arriving at the monastery and just doing the simple work. You know, mm -hmm. it's something that's so simple yet so profound and it, you don't have to do all these exercises and Merkab activations and like breath work. And it's like when you just use the power of intention and you learn and, and know how to just move, even in the most basic manner, energy from your awareness, energy from your head into your heart, and you start to kind of learn how to move around in this space of this, the cave of the heart, I like to call it and you start getting familiar with it and you start really connecting with this force within yourself, um, it's nothing fancy. It's the most innate, pure way of being. It's just that we think it has to be so fancy and elaborate, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I journeyed far and wide. I've met star seed beings like that took my absolute i mean breath away i've met also very dark beings yeah yeah especially over the last um two three years i went through um what i what i called spiritual warfare mm. and i was even called to go certain places and when i say called to go to certain places i mean you know a a conference or a workshop or something would kind of come into my field. It would just pop up. And I just knew like it was, it, it was almost like something higher than me was just urging me to go there and be there, even mm. though I personally had no desire to go and be there, let alone mm. spend money to be there, you know, but it was this knowing and, and, you know, 
fair enough. Like at that point I had already really done a lot of inner work and inner journeying and, and, um, activated my heart. But I think there's so many, it's the school of life, you know, it's the school of like a light warrior where Mm -hmm. when you heed the call, there's, there's first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, you know, and you get to a certain point where you're like, Oh my goodness, is this a freaking PhD class? Like what on earth, you know? And that's why most people don't do the inner work because they don't want to journey down that path because it's, 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 it's scary. (laughs) Yes. And I like how you call it spiritual warfare. I've equated it to detox Mm -hmm. to somebody Mm -hmm. detoxing off of heroin or something like that. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, Jesus talked about it in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Buddha talked about it under the tree. Yeah. It's something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. It's beyond it's, it's been around since the beginning of time. And you don't have to take anything outside of yourself. And I'm specifically talking about medicine as, you know, plant medicine, because so many people think that they, they need to face their demons. And the easiest way to do that is plant medicine, but you like can do ayahuasca that. or something like yes. that. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, I've personally never done ayahuasca. I have done, um, other, other things, but, um, I, it's almost like, I had to specifically not do that so that I could also talk and share about the fact that you can get to those places through the power of your heart. That's right. Because just the journey from your head into your heart alone, there's that beautiful expression that nobody really knows who said it, but it goes, the longest journey you will ever make is from your head to your heart. Hmm. And it's, it's true because to get from your head into your heart truly and understand how to live from your heart. And it's a continuous daily practice, a moment to moment practice, especially in this world that we live in right now, in this three-dimensional reality of major ego and major polarization and duality. It's, it's more natural to live from the head because it is a dualistic approach to life, you know, but it's our computer. (laughs) It's our hard drive. And, um, and I say, what I say is, your heart is your core processor. Your mind is your hard drive. The body is the motherboard and the spirit is the power cord, but it's nothing without knowing. And, and the human being human is the most powerful ally. Yeah. ally, you know, mm. but it's nothing without activating your inner intelligence and knowing how to use your different parts within you. And, um, yeah, but, but really, going from the head into the heart in and of itself is the journey itself really what that means because you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does going from your head to your heart mean? It means that even just starting to lean out of your head and trusting to surrender out of this controlling mechanism of the hard drive, which operates off of memory means that you're starting to let go of the known. And most of us don't like to do that because we Mm. want to stay in the known because that's what's comfortable and that's what we know and nobody likes to be uncomfortable. Mm. So that's the first step of learning to actually let go of the known and get mildly comfortable with the unknown. That's the first step. It's well said. (laughs) Once you start getting comfortable with this weird thing called the unknown, 
then comes the ego work and that's a really painful journey because mm-hmm. it is a shedding of who you thought you were and what you thought you wanted and what you thought you needed mm-hmm. and truly truly it, it's the art of letting go and and Tignan Han I think that's I learned a lot about the art of letting go at Plum Village but it, it didn't start until afterwards becoming nobody but yet yeah. still living in the material world. Exactly. That's the, that's the hard part is, I mean, I know on my journey, when I started becoming nobody, I didn't want to do anything. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to sit in my chair. Mm-hmm. I have a chair in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to sit in my chair all day and maybe at the most read. That's all I wanted to do. Didn't want to go into the office. Didn't want to go to the computer. Didn't want to do social media. Didn't want to do any of that. And so uh, one of my mentors, Preem Vishrant, who's on episode 42 on this podcast for anyone listening, I had a talk with him and he said, you know, you got to get out of that because you still have to operate in the material world. He said, just think of it as a sandcastle. You're building a sandcastle. Eventually, the water is going to come and ruin it anyway. <laughs> you, might, you might as well just go out there and, you know, give it your best shot, but just don't take it all so serious. And just There's a balance between knowing that you're not your bi- mind, you're not your body, you're nobody, you're just this light, this beautiful light, and then having to go out there and make money and having to go out there and be in a relationship or dealing with mom and dad or, you know, just getting in a traffic jam. <laughs> the day-to-day. The day-to-day in Spaceship Earth. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a matter of, I think we, we, we all want to find this illusionary state of, called balance, but really what it is is, is harmony. Because there's in nature, nature is our number one teacher. And we've lost touch with our own human nature. And that's why we are out of balance uh, with nature, our inner nature and our outer nature. Because we are obsessed with finding, quote unquote, this thing, this illusionary state of balance, rather than understanding that it's actually harmony. Because in nature, there will be tornadoes, there will be tsunamis, there will be fires, Mm -hmm. chaos. All of that is chaos, right? But then what happens? It all has a purpose. It all has a natural function to restore the harmony. So there's going to be chaos in order to arrive at order. And, and, and so it, it, it's so vital to, to understand that it, it's not about finding this perfect balance because that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as perfect balance. There's such a th- thing as resonant harmony. And when you come into harmony, you understand that there's going to be days and moments and times and experiences and conversations and whatever it may be, parts of yourself that are going to show up as chaotic and, and the harmonization of it is to understand that just because something's chaotic or out of tune doesn't mean the whole song has to be thrown out, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of 
it's the string that's just trying to reattune itself to come into resonance again. And making one thing better or worse, and I say this all the time, you know, it's so easy to glorify light and demonize darkness. It's so, we've been programmed to actually do that by the patri- by the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we think that light is good and dark is bad. And that has been so deeply programmed into our beingness for years upon years upon years. And so we therefore also internalize that. And we believe that if we're out of balance or if we have darkness or anger, we immediately believe it's bad. We label it and then we shove it away and we don't want to deal with it because we think it's bad and we're supposed to be in the light and we're supposed to be good and we're supposed to be perfect so that we can go to heaven or whatever it may be that, you know, your nirvana is. And it's, it's, that in and of itself is, is living in illusion because you're living from a polarized state of being, which is black and white, wrong and right, um, bad and good. Mm-hmm. And there is no such thing. And within that cycle, we're never going to be able to actually heal because the moment we make something wrong or bad, we're not letting it, we're not giving it enough love and light to actually show its true self. Mm. Well said. You seem like a very entrepreneurial person from the beginning, before even all this. When you went through your journey and you had all your spiritual warfare, how, first of all, how long did the spiritual warfare last? And how did you get back to working and creating a business? It was never separate. I would say the, the more I learned how to stand in my light, the more darkness came my way. And, and it was my teacher. It was my greatest teacher because it helped me understand that the, the, the deeper and the higher I go, the more I'm going to be given. And it's not a matter of shutting off and, and running away and, and thinking that that's a bad thing. It's a matter of even more owning your light and the darkness and not making it wrong. Um, it was, it was interwoven. I, it wasn't a matter of, I mean, there were moments for sure where I, I had to take a break and I had to stop because it got, it was, and that was actually just quite recently. Um, it was uh, beginning of 2019 where I went through what I would call the first spiritual warfare. And I think I had gotten, my soul had gotten to a certain place where I could no longer deny my power, but I was actually dimming my light because I was scared of my power and I was scared of my light. And there's that famous quote by Marianne Williamson that goes, we're most afraid of our own light, not our darkness. Mm. And it is one of the most profound quotes I've ever read because it's, it's, it's a lengthy quote. It's about a paragraph and it's, it holds so much wisdom because the moment that that initial experience happened. And I had had a few prior to that. It was almost like 
gearing me up, but they were few and far between and really kind of just like short instances. And I almost, they were short enough and quick enough where I was almost able to just ignore them. But then I came into a full blown spiritual warfare that lasted over like a week. And I was getting basically, um, woke, I don't want to say attacked. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. felt that way. It felt like I was being attacked, but I was really just being woken up even deeper. And it was so easy to be scared. And it was so easy to just crumble and like hide under my sheets. But I knew that that's not why it was happening for me. So I decided to actually do what someone, one of my mentors and told me was, you know, a three day version of sitting like Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. Mm. Uh, Because I decided to fully face all of me. And, and so I decided to just sit and I, I practically didn't eat, move, sleep, or do anything for three days and three nights. Mm. And, and I, I didn't even know, you know, what Buddha did under the tree. I had like, I didn't, it, it was just a knowing that I had to do this. And it was a matter of almost survival for my own soul expansion. And that's what I've always been after. It's just this knowing that I'm meant to expand, um, continuously expand. So you basically took three days off from life and discovered life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good way of putting it. And yeah. what, what happened at the end of the three days? It was similar to what happened once I left the monastery. That's when the journey really just began again. So it was um, a full life restart in every way. And a few months later, I moved out of New York and moved back to Switzerland. But for a good three months, um, intensely three months, and then, you know, it, it, it was... It continued a little bit, but, and it continues always, but for really some intense three months, I, I went through the biggest ego crash of my entire life. Mm. And, um, and I learned to not make any kind of other being or entity, whether it's benevolent or maleficent or dark or light, because I, I, bore witness to all of them. And the only way I was ever able to truly find peace within me, within that experience, which was then the moment that I was able to um, guide them back into the light in a sense, because that's also why they were coming to me. Mm. Um, It was only when I let go of my fear of them, which is also part of who I am, right? That this almost like, you know, light doorway portal opened up and they were able to go through it. Um, But I then also had to, and, and, you know, for people that are listening, have, you know, maybe have no idea what I'm talking about with spiritual warfare. I mean, there was a week where I was um, hearing, feeling, seeing, experiencing entities come into my immediate field and there was one the most powerful experience and absolutely terrifying experience was um an astral experience that i had 
um, where I was actually, I was sleeping. It was in the middle of the night, but I, I knew the quote unquote dream that I was having was not a dream. It was an, it was, it was an energetic experience that I was just trying to navigate through while I just so happened to be, my body happened to be asleep, but I was awake. Sure. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't go to sleep astral traveling or anything like that. It just, it happened. And, um, in, in this astral experience, there was an entity that was attacking me and I was fighting back with grace. And literally that kept being the word that kept coming to me, say grace, say grace, say grace. That's what I kept feeling and hearing that I had to do and say, and it was very random. And the third time I said it, I started waking up by a sound that was actually happening in the 3D. Hmm. And I didn't know what it was. So I started wake and it was 4 a.m. And I, you know, that like weird state where you're like half awake and half asleep and you are so disoriented and mm. you're also completely freaked out. And I basically had um, uh, guided that entity into the light, but basically the way the curse, quote unquote curse was broken mm -hmm. was that, that weird sound I was woken up by got louder and louder and louder and suddenly <clears throat> full blown explosion of my mirror. At 4 a.m., my mirror started cracking, and the crack mm. of my mirror was what woke me up. And at, I think, like 4 a.m. on the dot, leaning on my wall, exploded into smithereens. Your mirror. So your mirror <laughs> literally shattered in the material world. Yep. So you woke up with some evidence. <laughs> I woke up with a few shards of evidence. Yep. <laughs> it was in that moment where I had to. I had to take notice of my power. I could no longer deny it. Right. And once I did that for a good year, I, I went through experiences that literally are barely even expressed in action movies or like, you know, I mean, it was one absolutely unbelievable experience after another. And mm -hmm. now did, did they happen? Did they happen during meditation, during sleep, or just while you're getting gas at a gas station? Um, every in every way, shape, and form, and experience. I mean, one was during at a conference, uh, at a quote unquote like energy spiritual conference. Uh, another one was with a person that was reading my palm, actually. So he witnessed all of it. Um, he had never experienced anything like he he. To this day, he must be absolutely, in, he must wonder what kind of a creature I am because, I mean, <laughs> temperature in the room was changing, not for me, but for him. It was, yeah, you know, you, when you really, really um, take that journey from your head into your heart and you start to bear witness to the infinite potential of human beings, you, you realize that everything they show in movies is real and more. Mm. It's just that our minds are too scared to actually comprehend it and take notice of it because it's, it's too complicated. Right. People usually only understand what they can see and hear yeah. Yeah. what their five senses can exactly. di digest. So here you are, you have your lifestyle membership program. You have,
this operation where you're going to help people. Do you, <laughs> do you come out and tell people this stuff or do you keep it simple in the beginning? Because look, I mean, I get it too. I get it too. Like I had somebody say they can't listen to this podcast because it's too esoteric for them. Totally. You know, and, and so we know that specifically Europe and Americas are very Christian, mm -hmm. you, you know, that they're not down for the spiritual warfare, Layla. Mm -hmm. Oh, I <laughs> so, know. I so, wasn't either. <laughs> Most of us aren't. Um, so how I, can you help people? Um, you use the word heart a lot. You're using language and methods to, to, to make people understand something that's very hard to understand because there's so much to unlearn for the average person. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to answer your immediate question, no, I don't just come out and say this. This is definitely the first more public, you know, but you're, you're asking and I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> Inner peace exclusive. <laughs> I'm an open book. And if anyone knows me, they, they know that about me. I have nothing to hide. I have, I've, I hid most of my life and that's not my purpose. And so, you know, if people have curiosity and they have questions, I will answer them truthfully from my heart. And, um, I know that judgments will come because that's, and it's, it has nothing to do with me. It's just, I mean, if I was listening to myself, five years ago, I would have judgments on myself as well. You know, I still have judgments on myself. I mean, that's just part of the human journey. So, you know, to anyone that is listening and, and finds themselves in judgment, I already forgive. I already love you. And it's, it's, it's just who we are. It's how we've been trained to operate and it's not wrong. It's just a matter of unlearning how to, um, it's a matter of unlearning and just dropping into the heart to understand that there's no right or wrong. It just is. And it's an enlightened way of life. And I'm guiding people through the journey at any different stage, the, the material, the courses, the programs, the offerings, the med meditations that are already in there, they're, um, they're actually older material. So if they're in there now and starting, it's, it's, definitely not at this level but as i you know as i start sharing more in there um there's videos coming i have an incredible um three part episode series with one of the co-creators of heart math um and he breaks it down in a very heart math mm, very physical masculine way that is very easy to understand. Um, and, and there's, and then, you know, as I grow and, and dare and choose to share my journey for the people like you that exist in this world as well, which it's not just you and I, there's so many. And I, I know that I'm sure most of your listeners, if they're listening, then they already understand a lot of this stuff and also understand that they don't know anything at the same time as well, you know? I hope that at whatever level anyone is at, including myself, that we can listen with an open heart and an open mind. And when and if something doesn't resonate in that moment in time, not to make ourselves wrong and to just 
kind of keep it in the distant and eventually maybe, maybe not. Um, but at some point in time, if it's meant to come back and resonate more in the vibration that that person is at, at that moment in time, it will. And I trust that. So if somebody is doing your program and your membership and they end up in a spiritual warfare type of situation, you can help them. Absolutely. You're a guru. <laughs> no, I'm not. Absolutely not. <laughs> that's what gurus do. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it. Health coach. That's what a health coach does. It's what a. I believe know. we're all, I, I honestly, I want to stream away from the, from, from the labels because it, it, it creates right. a hierarchy, you know? Well, I, I think, you know, something that comes up on this podcast very often, something I talk about a lot. In fact, I'll probably do a whole episode dedicated to it mm -hmm. is East versus West. Mm -hmm. And the differences mm -hmm. are unbelievable. Here in the West, we idolize celebrities. Oh, yeah. And in the East, they idolize gurus. Mm. So it's different. Somebody, you know, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson walks in the room, somebody's <laughs> going to faint. Oh my God, they're going to faint, right? Yeah. If an Indian guru walks in the room in the East, they get down, they touch the feet. Mm -hmm. You know, if, some, if somebody runs into Thich Nhat Hanh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a big ordeal. The West is just not used to the East, that they're just not used to that guru mentality. Mm -hmm. The stuff that you're saying is... You know, it's your experience, but it's happened to millions of people before. Absolutely. It's, it's a shared experience. Right. It might be slightly different, but it's a shared experience. And typically, it's happened in India, in China, in Japan, in, in Tibet. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. something that happens in New York and Los Angeles. <laughs> because... You know, the the East, I mean, I'm sorry, the West is stuck in the church and the synagogue. We're stuck in that, mm -hmm. a different hierarchy. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what I meant by guru is that, you know, the culture has been always, there's mm -hmm. an Indian or Chinese guru of some sort, and they help the students through mm -hmm. those situations. So let's go with guide. guide <laughs> let's go sure. with heart guide. Sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll be their heart guide. <laughs> Our coach. Yeah. Yeah. We're just playing with language anyway, right? I know. It's all just, we can make up any word. I know. What's fascinating to me is, is when you find someone who is taking these truths and is packaging them up in a way that's going to help Westerners, mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle is a good example. Mm -hmm. You know, Eckhart Tolle, he, he, he's, not, he's not going as deep as, you know, Ramana Maharshi or Osho. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's not. He's keeping it very mm -hmm. Western. Mm -hmm. Baseline. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I, I, I like that. We need more mm -hmm. Westerners who have these experiences to teach Westerners these experiences. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, 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 like, I like what you're doing. I like how you're packaging it up. Thank you. 
you know, I, I call my stuff inner peace. I'm not calling it enlightenment. I'm not calling it self-realization. Mm -hmm. I'm not calling it astral travel. I'm calling it inner <laughs> peace. And you might do all of those things to get inner peace. But right, yeah. Right. <laughs> Although I was driven to use it because it rhymed with my last name, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Inner peace with Kevin Reese. <laughs> now, how are you gonna find something that rhymes with your last name? Oh goodness. Do you want to say it? <laughs> Salvade. Salvade. Good job. I did it. Italian. Yeah, you Salvade. did. See the hand helps. Yeah. Tomato tomato. Salvade. Exactly. <laughs> what is what does mom and dad think about what you're doing? Well, my mom was really my catalyst. She she taught us you know, I, I come from a, an extremely multicultural family. My mom was born in Egypt. She grew up in Lebanon, but she's half American. My father's Swiss, but he grew up between Colombia and Venezuela. So growing up in this small, small town in Switzerland, I heard six languages at the same time on any given day. Mm. And I had one grandfather that was praying towards the sun with his Islamic beads. And I had my other grandfather who took us to Catholic church. So I grew up, um, yeah, hearing everything from Swiss German to Arabic and really understanding the world in a very, um, dynamic, dynamic, good word. Yeah. Dynamic manner. And so my mom, you know, growing up during the civil war in Lebanon, seeing literally with her own two eyes, people being burnt on crosses in the name of religion, quote unquote, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, from, from an early age, she taught us that we can choose whatever religion and faith and practice we want to do. Like, it doesn't matter. There's not one specific one we're going to practice at home because ultimately the only true religion is love. My mom gets it. Uh, however, she, you know, she's, she so gracefully said, you only hope that your children outgrow you. And, um, and so sometimes I don't think she quite understands anymore what I'm talking about or what I'm doing. Cause it's, it's, it's like, we're born with new DNA as well, you know? Um, and, and whatever wave we are, you know, whatever, I think was it Dolores Cannon that talks about the, the different waves of children that are born. Um, I think it's her, but we're coming in with different DNA with uh, higher attunements to uh, different awarenesses. So um, yeah, my mom taught me everything I know and then I took it to the next level. And my father was always this very peaceful, still is, um, but a little bit removed, you know, m masculine that, just kind of lets, lets us be, you know, he, he was the one man in the household of three women. <laughs> so he just kind of peacefully stood to the side and let us do our thing. Very cool. Layla, I just want to sing your name. Layla. <laughs> How many people do that to you? And it's a famous it's, song. You know? Yeah. You know, less and less because it's you know a lot of people nowadays don't even know the song actually 
this has been a great conversation. I can't wait to edit it because one of the joys of editing for me is I get to re-listen mm. to it. And I think there's some some big gems in here for the listeners. Where can people come say hello to you on social media? At Standing Light. So everything Standing Light, standinglight.com, where they can get access to the Light Style membership as well. Uh, Standing Light on Instagram. Instagram is, is definitely the easiest way to connect with me. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate it. <laughs> what a conversation, huh? You know, Layla is a shining example of what is possible. Been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks with you that we have an inner potential. You just have to have some discipline and tap into it. Religion will only take you so far. Praying will only take you so far. At some point, if you want to elevate, if you want to thrive as a human being, you got to sit down with discipline and make it happen. Listening to this podcast is a great way to stay motivated and stay relaxed and keep gaining an understanding of what is possible. Same with the meditation album, which, again, I recommend you use. I made it for you. Hmm. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I am going to be having a conversation with a Zen master. I've been waiting for this for a long time. So be sure to follow my work on drreese.com. That's doctor spelled out. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.